This morning as we begin the time to look into the Word and hear what God has for us, I want to first set the standard and make the statement that every single one of us today is confronted with a bowl of soup. Every single one of us today is confronted with a bowl of stew, a can of soup, a bowl of soup, however you want to name it or claim it. And that what we choose to do with that soup will determine not only the immediate moment, but will determine our future. So as we begin today, I want you to think or begin thinking about what your bowl of soup entails. What that bowl of soup in your life symbolically represents. About 15 years ago, when I was in high school or so, I guess it's almost 20 now, my parents and I went on a trip out west. And uh, we'd, we'd made two trips out west. One, we went in the southern, uh, kind of the southern way, and then the other way, we went north and whatnot. And one of these occasions, we were out on one of those deserted roads. I, don't even, I can't even tell you where we were. But uh, one of the things that, that we did is we kind of, we were doing a trip on a budget, uh, now, I know many of you don't know what a budget is, uh, and you need to because you're in financial crisis. Uh, but we were on a, on a budget, and uh, the budget for that day, we were spending about $100 a day. Now, my father had been in the military, so we would try to stay at military bases for cheap or whatnot. But we basically did one meal a day out to eat, and the rest were kind of snacks or whatnot. And so it was very, 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 very important that the snacks were available when we got hungry. So we had rented a minivan, and we'd taken that minivan out west, and um, as it was, my kind of my job, or one of the things that I assumed the role, was to clean out the van every morning before we left to go on our excursion. And so on that particular morning, and you have to keep in mind, my brother is six and a half years younger than I am, and so we didn't get along growing up. Now, uh, he's not here this morning, but it, those of you who've met him, he like makes two of me, okay? So, you know, times have kind of changed about who's going to pick on who and who's going to win. Uh, and so in that day, I could pick on him, get away with it, and you know, I love to aggravate the living daylights out of him, which siblings like to do. And so on this particular occasion, we're traveling out west, and I had, you know, I had aggravated, you know, him enough. And for those of you who are parents who have uh, two kids in the house, you know, parents have a threshold. Uh, I, I think, at least I do, I know that you do too. And so that threshold, you know, one of my jobs as a teenager was to push that threshold. You know what I'm talking about? Of course you do. You know what I'm talking about. You push your parents' buttons. You know something aggravates your parents, and you're going to do it. You do it, Why? Because you can. And that's exactly what I was doing. And, um, but my father got hungry. Um, now, one thing I want to explain to you about all the men in my family. My father, my brother, myself. When we get hungry, we have to have something to eat. Otherwise, we're not responsible for what happens. And so my father says, and he's already aggravated because I've been aggravating my brother. And the way it is, you know, my father's driving. My mom's in the, uh, in the co-pilot seat. She's a navigator. She knows exactly where we're going. And she doesn't think dad knows how to get there. And then my brother's sitting in the first seat in the back. And I'm in the second seat in the back. And so, you know, we've been picking, fighting all morning. My father says he's hungry. And so hand me some snacks, he says. So we go rummaging around trying to find snacks. Well, they're not there because I threw them away. And it 
incites my father to the point that, I mean, he blows his stack. He pulls off in the emergency lane of the road, gets out, slams the door, and he's coming after me. To which I pleaded with my mother, lock the door. And so she locks the door. And so literally people are going by the road and he's pounding on the van, open this door, unlock this door. And he's telling my mom, her name's Trilby. He's like, Trilby, unlock this door. And I'm like, you know. (laughs) And so my mom, my mom says to him, not until you calm down, Jim, this is ridiculous. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh, who's the boss now? And so in that experience, in that moment, my father's understanding that I was his oldest and best son went out the window. Suddenly, I'm a commodity and he is ready to wring my neck. Why? Because his hunger was more important than his relationship to me in that moment. Now you may say, ah, no, 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 no. He loved, you weren't there. (laughs) His hunger and satisfying his hunger was more important than the fact that I was his offspring. And I hope he's listening. He usually listens to these sermons in the afternoon. I'll I'll get a phone call at some point this week. Of course, I'm going to be sitting at their table for Thanksgiving. I'm sure that's going to be an interesting moment when we talk about the sermon. Um, But I say that because all of us are hungering for something. And the bowl of soup that is before us, the can of soup that is before us, is different for each of us. But it has the potential to alter the course of our lives because we're making a decision in that moment. I believe, I believe, I believe that if we had not locked that door and prevented the enemy, the devil, from outside to come inside the van and get me, that there would have been some kind of domestic violence issue that would have gone off in that moment. The decision, the trigger, I'm hungry, feed me, didn't get food, resulted in potential violence, and we preempted it. But he was hungry, determined to get what he wants. And determined to get what he wanted. And the same is true for each of us. We hunger after things that we should not hunger for. We thirst after things that we should not be thirsty for. But they're tempting and they're fun. Hear me say this. Sin and temptation is fun. If sin was not fun, you and I would not have such a great big problem with it. It's fun. I mean, I I grew up in a church that said, sin is not fun. Sin is not fun. I'm like, what are you talking about? (laughs) Sin is fun. It is fun. And we have great difficulty because sin inhabits our lives. Why? Because what we see in our moment, what we see in this second, is something that we believe that we have got to have. We believe that we need it in order to be able to survive because we are hungering and thirsting after things that in the end are not going to last. Now let's look at the scripture. Jacob and Esau... Jacob and Esau were prized children. They were children that basically 
Isaac and his wife Rebekah never thought they were going to have. But Isaac and Rebekah have these twin boys. And it says that once Esau, who is the oldest, is born, Jacob basically has his hand on his heel. In other words, they're born immediately after one another. But in the ancient times, the oldest son gets the worm. The oldest son is the treasured son. What does that mean? When he, it's time for him to gain his inheritance, if you have two boys, you will split the inheritance three ways, and the oldest son will get two-thirds of the inheritance. So let's just quickly, let's just quickly do the math. If you've got $1,000 when you die, the oldest son is allegedly going to get $667, or for those of you who are uh, for those of you who are, I'm sorry, uh, for those of you who are mathematicians and you're really concerned about this, it's $666.66 with a bar over it. Now, that's just for the you that are curious about that. The other child will get $333.33 with a bar over it. In other words, two-thirds of the inheritance would go to the oldest one. You can see why there might be animosity between these two brothers. The Bible tells us that Esau is a very gifted hunter. He was someone that liked the outdoors. He liked to go hunting. He liked to go out in the wild. And then we have, and I like to compare Esau. Esau is more like your, your, your outside, sort of like um, the, the people in, in West Monroe, help me out here, that do the duck calls, the duck dynasty people. He's the outdoorsman, okay? Jacob is more like me. He's a shopper. He wants to stay home. If he goes out of the wilderness, he wants to stay at a Hyatt Regency or a Holiday Inn Express. He's really not interested really in getting in the guts and grime of having to hunt. I mean, when I go fishing, and it amazes me for those of you who fish, you go fishing, you come back with some trout, you've got three or four pounds of trout. I go to Fresh Market, I say, give me 10 pounds, I end up with more fish than what you have. That's just the way, that's the way I approach things. So Jacob was a lot like that. They were polar opposites and they did not get along. But the Bible tells us that there was an event that occurred in the life of Esau and Jacob where Esau has been out on one of his hunting, of one of his hunting expeditions and he comes back and the Bible tells us that he is famished. How many of you have gone out and you've gotten hungry? And that hunger has led you to be kind of in an irritable mood. My father needs to be raising his hand this morning. And so that's exactly what happens. Esau comes back in and there in front of him is Jacob with a can of beef stew. Mm, mm, mm. There's no McDonald's. For a thousand miles and 20 or 24 centuries later. There's no Walmart. There's no Kentucky Fried Chicken. Although they couldn't have afforded it if they wanted to. There's nothing, there's nothing for them to go to and buy. But there's Esau who is hungry. Who's come back. He doesn't have any. He's not killed anything evidently. Or at least he doesn't want to take the time to fix it. And there is meek, mild little Jacob, the entrepreneur. Who says, I got some soup. What will you give me for it? Oh, Jacob, quit teasing me. Leave me alone. I'm hungry. Don't mess with me. To which Jacob says, If you want this can of soup, if you want this bowl of soup, sell me your birthright. 
What good's a birthright to me? And then what's implied there is, I'm hungry. In other words, I want what I want in this moment right here and now. Nothing else matters but the fact I'm hungry. Hear me roar. And so Jacob capitalizes on this opportunity. And he offers him a bowl of soup. And the bowl of soup is going to cost him this birthright. And remember what I've said. The birthright is two-thirds of the inheritance. How many times, how many times are we confronted with a decision? A decision in which what lies directly in front of us smells so good, it looks so, so fine, we know we can almost, we salivate over it because it is what we want. We have yearned and longed and we're hungering after it and we can almost taste it. It's sort of like a chocolate truffle for me. And then what do we do? We contemplate about what's it going to cost me. And we wage the value of the decision based on what we're going to get to satisfy what we, uh, what we perceive to be a real need versus what's going to be left behind and after. Can I tell you how many young people, how many old people, how many older people make decisions based on the here and now? Have it your way. Don't worry about what is to come. If you see it, seize it for now. And that's exactly what Esau does. So the Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 25 that Jacob said to him in verse 33, Swear to me first. And so Esau swore an oath to him, selling his birthright. And then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some stew. And he ate and drank and then got up and left. And so Esau despised his birthright. So the first question that I want to ask us today is, do you and I, do we control our hunger or do we allow our hunger to control us? In verse 32 of the passage, Esau makes this statement. Look, I'm about to die. How many of you have ever said that? Maybe you've gone, how many, let me ask you this. How many of you have been to Dollywood in the middle of the summer when it's so stinking hot? And you're out there and they're charging like five bucks for a drink. But you know what? You'll pay it. You'll pay it. Why? Because you're thirsty and you need to have your thirst quenched. You've got to have it now. You're not willing to wait till you get back to your cooler in the car to get your ice water that you paid 29 cents for at Walmart. No, you're willing to sacrifice your monetary value for water or for Coke that's not worth it. But when you take that first gulp, that first gulp turns into a second and a third. And before you know it, you have depleted the entire cup. Why? Because you were in need. You were famished. You were thirsty. And you had to get a fix then. Addicts are the same way. They have to get a fix. Why? Because they're driven not by their own choices, but they're driven by this inner choice within that says, I've got to have this. Otherwise, I am about to die. 
If only we would look at Jesus in the same way. Oh, I've got to have him because if I don't have him, I'm going to die. But we don't play that game. Instead, we decide of whether we're going to have the soup that we want, the way that we want it, in the time fashion that we want it, or are we willing to wait and time and time again as our history unfolds and our life unravels, we see that it wasn't one choice that led to our destruction. It was a series of choices just like Esau made in this moment that took him to being the primary son and which was his father's favorite to becoming someone that is rarely mentioned other than in Genesis chapter 25. Do our Hunger pains, do we control them or do they control us? Esau was overcome in that moment with what he wanted. And so many times you and I are overcome by what we want. In that moment, all Esau could see was his need for food. If I don't get this food, I am going to die. Now, Truth of the matter is, if I was going to preach for three or four hours, besides the fact that many of you would get up and walk out, but if I was going to preach for three or four hours, your hunger pains would hit. And you would kind of get irritated. It's already hot in here, is it not? Yeah, it's hot. Um, it's already hot in here, but your, 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 your hunger pains are going to kick in, and you would grow irritable and irritable. And some of you would even punch your spouse or punch the person next to you. God, I'm about to die if I don't get something to eat. You're not going to die. You are not going to die. As a matter of fact, unless you are a diabetic and you have these sugar issues and whatnot, you're not going to go in any kind of state of coma or anything else if you don't eat for two or three days. Some of you never even thought about that. Why? Because Baptists, we believe in the Bible, but don't you remember that word fasting? We don't fast. Now, we run fast in order to get in front of you in line at the buffet. I'm picking on Baptists today because we're all about the Bible, but we don't do laying on hands and we don't fast. I mean, that's biblical. If you're going to be biblical, you need to fast. And some of us, we, we need to fast. You're not going to starve to death by missing a meal. Newsflash. But we believe... We believe in that moment that if we don't get what we're accustomed to getting, that we will die. Our mind tells us we've got to have it. And we've got to have it now. How many decisions have been made by guys who look at that beautiful young lady and make a decision in the moment? I've got to have that now. How many girls, ladies, have made decisions and said, I want that guy, that guy. If I just had that guy, my life would be filled. And guess what? She's not thinking about Jesus. How many people have made mistakes like that because they could only see the soup that was in front of them when God had a huge ribeye and buffet behind them that they couldn't envision or imagine? 
What did Esau do in that moment? He allowed his hunger pains to control his decision. Esau didn't care about the birthright because all he was focused on is the here and now and what he wanted. And so many of us are always focused on the here and the now. We're not worried about the ramifications of the future. We think to ourselves, I've got my entire life to fix whatever drama ensues in the here and now. I can pray through it. I can work through it. I can go counseling. I'm not necessarily going to die. I've got to live for the here and now because I've got to have it. Because if I don't have it, I'm incomplete. If I don't get it, I'm not going to be fulfilled. If I don't receive it, I'm not going to be popular. If I don't embody it, I'm not going to be a real person. So Esau sells his birthright. And he makes that decision. And what that tells us is this. That every decision that you and I make has consequences. My decision to throw away the food in that van led to a consequence of magnificent proportions that I never imagined. My father's decision to allow his hunger pains control reality led to a consequence. He was locked out of the car on an interstate as people were driving by and he got to see me waving to him in the window. There are consequences to every decision that we make. So Esau makes a decision to sell his birthright because he is famished. He is hungry. What was the cost? What was the cost of that bowl of soup for Esau? I'm going to tell you one of the things, and this this is the damaging part of it. It's not so much that he lost two-thirds of the inheritance. And then that's bad enough. In a day and time, you don't have stocks. You don't have 401ks. Your inheritance is land. Your inheritance is property. Your inheritance is the value that your father has bestowed upon you. It is the right of the oldest person. It is tradition. What do you think the father thought of the son when he finds out that the son has traded the father's legacy for a bowl of lentil soup? What do you think Esau thinks as he grows old and he has children, his family? What do you think they think? What do you think he thinks about the decision that he made many years before? God, I traded all of that for this. I traded in that moment the legacy, the livelihood. I traded not only my future, but my family's future. I traded it all in that moment for one measly bowl of soup. And before you give Esau, before you give Esau judgment, what have you traded? What have you traded of intrinsic value? What have you traded that's far more valuable than you could ever ask or imagine For something even cheaper than this dollar and 39 cent can of soup. But in the moment that you saw it. In the moment that you thought you needed it. This was more attractive to you than anything else in that second. God does not just want your attention on Sunday. 
God wants our attention every second of every day because when you and I are tempted to trade it all for something as measly and as pitiful as a bowl of soup, we won't make the same stupid decision that Esau did all because he allowed this to control this and this. Gentlemen, how often do we make decisions allowing something other than this to inform our decision making? Ladies, how often do you allow your decisions to be made by something other than this to make your decisions? Listen, when you make decisions not consulting the heart that God has formed you in the creation of His being, when you and I make decisions denying the heart of its rightful place of having a voice, then you and I will always make the bad decision. And we will sacrifice what is eternal on the altar of what is temporary? And that is the third point. Don't sacrifice eternal value for something that's temporal, even though in that moment of sacrifice, you think that that temporal issue is of major proportion. Let me show you the consequence of the actions. Esau gave up his birthright, two-thirds of his inheritance for a bowl of stinking soup. How often do we sacrifice? How often do we make similar decisions with our lives? For a few moments of pleasure, we will sacrifice our future for it. For a few seconds of glory, we will sacrifice something else for this moment because we have to have it. Ladies, that man's not worth it. Gentlemen, that woman's not worth it. Couples, that house, that community, that neighborhood is not worth it. Don't sacrifice everything that you are and compromise on everything that you are. Because here's the thing. All you and I get to take with us is the soul and in that soul, it's defined by character. You can't buy character. You can spend your life trying to build character and forsake it in one instant. And it all comes crashing down. Why? Because oftentimes our motivation for decision making is not made with this. We make it based on how we feel. I'm hungry. I've got to have something. I'm lonely, I've got to have someone. I'm miserable, I've got to have something to make me happy. And we buy into the world's lie. And as a result, we sacrifice the sanctity of our lives, the beauty of the journey. We, we sacrifice what is essentially important for that which really doesn't matter. Now here's the ultimate consequence. The real cost is not the birthright, it's not the fact that the younger gets more prominence than the older. The real consequence is Genesis chapter 50 verse 24. The real consequence is Exodus chapter 3 verse 6. 
It's the real consequence is Exodus chapter 3, verse 15. The real consequence is Exodus chapter 3, verse 16. The real consequence is Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse 5. The real consequence is Matthew chapter 22, verse 32. The real consequence is Luke chapter 13, verse 28. The real consequence is Acts chapter 3, verse 13. The real consequence is Acts chapter 7, verse 32. And what is it? This the Lord, the Lord of our fathers, the Lord of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Forever and a day, for all eternity, for all the written scripture, for all the foreseeable future, what's traded in that moment for a bowl of soup is the fact that Esau is a forgotten individual, that his nation and his people didn't amount to anything But Jacob amounted to greatness. Why? Because Jacob made a decision. Jacob, you may say he swindled it. There are consequences to every decision. And so Esau is not known anymore. But what people say is, this is the God of our forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. For all time and in all places, it would have been, this is the God of our forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. But Esau ends up being a parenthetical notation in most of the scriptures. And usually it will say, going back to Genesis chapter 25, Esau sold his birthright for a bowl of soup. Wow. You look at the panoramic view of that decision. For a few lousy sips of soup, Esau is forgotten. And the God of our fathers is Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Decisions have consequences. And before you think that, well, that's because they were known, I'm not a known individual. Esau is known. Esau is known as the person who was stupid in Genesis chapter 25 and sold his birthright for a can of soup. What are you going to be known for? What are you facing in this moment? What are you facing in this week? What are you facing in this month? What is the can of soup that lies before you that you believe is irresistible, that you believe that you've got to have it? And I'm telling you what, you don't need it. But is it, it doesn't stop you lusting for it, salivating over it. Because you've bought into the enemy's lie that in order to be a person of significance, you've got to have it for yourself. The consequence is great. And so for those of you who are on the verge of a decision where you've got soup but you don't know what the ulterior or what the alternative is. I'm just going to ask you, learn from Jacob and Esau, because I'm willing to bet you, I'm willing to bet you my net worth and everything else, which is not much. That if we could go back and get an interview with Esau, Esau would say, "The greatest mistake of my life was I sacrificed what." could have been eternal for something in that moment that I believed 
was worth it. For a bowl of soup, he gave it all away. Some of us give it away for things a lot less. Where are you today? Where are we today? You had six students get baptized today. You've met the calling of God. You've supplied 375 boxes, 175 more than, than what you believed you could do. We've dreamed big. And as we continue to grow, and as you continue to grow in Christ, and as we mature in Christ, there are going to be so many opportunities. They're going to be appealing. Do not pursue things like this and sacrifice the legacy that you could have. So this morning as we go into invitation, I just simply ask this. What is it that you've been hungering after? What is it that is captivating your attention? What is it that you cannot get off your mind? What is it that you're drooling over that you have believed or you've thought to yourself, I've got to have this? It could be the iPhone 6. Could be. It could be any a number of things. It could be people, persons. It could be popularity. It could be friendships. doesn't matter what it is. The point is that for you is the bowl of soup. So this morning in this invitation, as we pray together, I pray that the Lord will give you strength for your days and that you and I will make the right decision, making the right choice So that we don't get less than what we imagined or bargained for. Lord, as we come to you in these moments. And God, as we come to you in invitation. Lord, we would ask that for those of us who are sitting here today. And we're faced with huge decisions. Huge temptations. God, that we would recognize the power that you give to us to be more than conquerors. That you would... Help us to understand and discern the choices that we make. To be able to understand what the bowl of soup is for our lives. And Lord, I pray that you would give us the power to make the right decision. For those of us who have sacrificed already, we've already given in. We've already taken the bowl of soup. The beautiful thing about the life of Christ and the journey that he gives us in these days is that he allows us to make U-turns. In the old days, it was all dependent on sacrifice. It was all dependent upon the, the, the lamb uh, or the, the blood of the lamb, the blood of the goat, the blood of the bull that we would sacrifice to you in order to atone for our sins. And so it could never make us right. And so we were defined for longevity. But Lord, through the power of your grace and to the journey today, You give the opportunity for U-turns. We get to be the prodigal son or daughter. We get to come back home. We get to have the sandals on our feet and the cloak around us and the biggest barbecue and celebration on this side of Christendom. Lord, thank you for your faithfulness to us. And Lord, today as we think about our can of soup and what it represents, may we surrender that desire to you
May we think with our hearts today. May we surrender it to you. And when we leave this place, may we not pick it back up and take it with us, but may we leave it here at the altar and allow you to have it because you are going to give us much more than what we've ever dreamed of. With God before us, Christ behind us, and the Holy Spirit in us, we will not only run the race, we will cross the finish line. We will win the prize. Help us to keep focused on what matters. Not to get off on these peripheral things and certainly not to trade it all just because we're thirsty or hungry in a specific moment of time. Lead us, guide us in this invitation as we make a decision about whether we're going to believe you, trust in you, and follow you, or about whether we're going to continue to sip from our cup of soup. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. If you're here this morning, maybe you need to trust in Christ for the first time. Maybe today you don't only have one bowl of soup, you have several bowls of soup that you need to throw at this altar. Be my guest. Come. Lay it down before him. Because here's the thing. Don't think to yourself, I don't want to walk an aisle. There's people in here that are going to see that I've got this bowl of soup. Listen, everybody in this room has a bowl of soup. It's what we're going to choose to do with it. Are we going to do it for ourselves? Are we going to lavish in this moment? Are we going to surrender those things to God? Because he can offer us so much, so much more. So when you walk an aisle this morning and you want to lay your soup at the altar... It just simply means that you've recognized that you've got the power, that you're strong enough to get up in front of people and you're strong enough to take a stand and you're strong enough to say, I'm tired of the porridge. I want God's buffet. If that's your testimony this morning, I invite you to come. I invite you to come to get real with God, to get real with Jesus. To leave here a transformed individual. And when you sit down on Thursday with your friends and families and you carve the turkey, then you'll have much more to be thankful for. Because the God who has called you is the God who has saved you. And the God that does not want you to sacrifice that which is eternal for something as insignificant that's temporary. Won't you come as we stand?